A few days a week, I teach a ninth grade history and literature class, and we're currently in a unit on America's founding documents. Um, and on the first day, I decided to hand out the uh, United States citizenship test. And so if you want to become a citizen, if you're not natural born citizen and you want to become one, you have to pass two tests, an English proficiency test and then a civics test. And so uh, I handed this out to the students to see what they could do uh, with 120 civics questions. To pass, you're given a list of 124 questions, but then you don't have to answer them all, but you'll have an oral test. It's not multiple choice. They just pick randomly from those 124 questions, and you just have to give the answer. And um, a few examples to test your mettle. Um, name the three branches of government. What are two cabinet-level positions? Why is the Electoral College important? What is the purpose of the Tenth Amendment? That is not an easy question, <laughs> right? Uh, what is the Tenth Amendment? That's the immediate question that all of us are like, I don't know what that is. Uh, James Madison is famous for many things. Name one. Uh, they, students were also asked to name something Alexander Hamilton was famous for, and because all of them had seen Hamilton, one of the students wrote, he had an affair. And it's like, mm, unfortunately, that is not noteworthy for American politicians, right? And so, and presidents. So that won't make you famous. Um, it's a hard test. Uh, it's a surprising thing. The vast majority of natural born citizens, even your most educated, would struggle to pass. Um, and of course, the ninth graders thought it was ridiculous. Like, why in the world would you require a test? Why is this information important for citizenship? You don't need to know any of these things to live and flourish in America. There is a lot that we don't know as humans in any subject, and most of it we don't need to know. Uh, there is no need truly to know most of the 124 things there. Um, even knowledge, though, that is very relevant to our lives, we don't know, we don't need to know, we can't know them. And that is a hard thing to say. Um, it's especially hard for me. I depend on knowledge. Um, I care deeply about it. I want to know everything I always have. It's my, in my personality. I literally read encyclopedias as a child. Um, if I'm teaching on a topic, I want to have at the ready like the three or four books um, on the subject. If I'm faced with a conflict or a challenge relationally, I just turn it over and over in my head, just constantly wanting to be fully prepared to know every outcome. Um, knowing makes me feel safe, it makes me feel in control, it alleviates my anxiety, it gives me confidence. I have a strong need to understand, and when I don't understand, I feel very unsettled. Today's verses have challenged me personally this week, and so I come to you having been personally convicted because it highlights how much I don't know and I can't know. I'm not meant to know everything. That is not God's desire for me to know everything. And so I'm challenged at what I don't know. And yet these verses invite me to rest in that ignorance because it is at the precise points of my ignorance where the Holy Spirit intercedes for me. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come to you not knowing everything and truly not knowing much. 
there's a lot that we don't know that's irrelevant to our lives, but there is a lot that we don't know that, is, that feels very relevant. That the darkness of ignorance that we walk through gives us anxiety. There are points in my life where I am nervous about the future, nervous about my behavior, nervous about my skills. Father, I know everyone in here comes with anxieties around their ignorance. I pray that Romans 8, 26, and 27 would challenge us and convict us, but ultimately would bring us great comfort that the spirit of the all-knowing God who knows everything is praying alongside us, interceding for us, and so we don't have to know everything. We don't have to be in control. Father, I pray that you would help me to speak well this morning, help us to listen well, uh, bring conviction of sin. The Holy Spirit is here. Um, Holy Spirit, pray for me, uh, pray for us while we listen to your word. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. For the past three weeks, uh, Rob, CJ, and myself have preached on hope in the midst of suffering. Uh, that is the theme of these uh, verses in Romans 8. The Bible teaches us that God created the world and humanity good, very good, but humanity forsook God's goodness in search of our own. We wanted our own source of goodness, and that broke the world, and it broke us. Uh, by unplugging ourselves from God, we unplugged ourselves from life, from the source of truth and goodness and beauty, and death entered the world. And the result is a vandalized creation. Uh, and yet, behind that vandalism, behind the broken windows and bombed buildings and spray-painted curse words in our life, over our life, we can still see underneath it God's original purpose. We can look through the vandalism and see the glory of this beautiful place we call Earth. And we get to see that especially on display um, on a day like today in San Francisco, where it is gorgeous outside. It's beautiful. We live in a beautiful city. And yet, as you walk the streets, as you drive in your car, there will be things that shouldn't be there. You can see the beauty. You can imagine what this city would look like if it was perfect. But it is not perfect. And that tension actually causes us suffering. Um, so there is acute suffering, right, in the actions and the harm that we received, but there is also a suffering in our knowledge of what life should be like, in that contrast of our present experience, um, the contrast of the fallen world with our expectation um, of what should be. And Paul highlights this tension with the image of groaning. Uh, that the creation groans for redemption, that the creation itself knows what life should be like. Uh, the animals uh, know what life should be like. When they run away from humans, there is some intuitive knowledge that that should not be the case. Um, they should not scurry away from us. We should be safe. The creation groans for redemption. We groan for redemption as we struggle with our bodies that are falling apart, that are aging. There is a longing in that struggle. It is not the way it should be. These aren't groans of frustration, though. They aren't hopeless groans, um, but they're groans of expectation, like a woman in labor, Paul says, painful but forward-looking. 
And now in 826, we learn that the Holy Spirit groans with us. And God longs alongside our longing. Uh, But his longing is different because he's God and we're not. Um, I'm grateful when you groan with me. Um, over the hardships in my life. That is such an important thing that we do as a church, that we mourn with those who mourn. But your groaning can't save me. And so it's good, and it means a lot to me um, that you groan with me. Um, It means a lot. It's comforting to recognize that the whole creation groans. But what I really need is God to groan. I need the Holy Spirit to ache and to um, put his power behind a desire to fix the world. And that's what we learn in Romans 8, 26. God groans are powerful. Our passage today begins, Romans 8, 26. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And what is the weakness Paul is highlighting here? It's not an empty term that we can just fill with anything or any, any way that we are weak. The Spirit in 826 isn't helping us with physical weakness. He's not helping us with emotional weakness. He, Paul is very specific in this verse. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. So that's what this passage is about. What is our weakness? It is our inability to know what to pray for. And if we don't know what to pray for, or, or I'm sorry, if we do know what to pray for, we don't know how we ought to pray for it. And so we're really stuck. And in God's universe, that is a problem, a significant problem, because prayer is an instrument of God's sovereignty. The way that he will uh, heal the world is in part through prayer, through our prayers. In his wisdom and goodness and grace, he has chosen to use prayer to affect redemption and restoration in our world. There are things in this world, there are things in our city, in our church, in our souls that will not change apart from prayer. Tim Keller writes, prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. And so if Keller is right, that prayer is the key to everything we need to do and be in life, and if Romans 8.26 is right, it's more right than Keller, to be clear. <laughs> um, <laughs> that we don't know what or how to pray. If those two things are true, then we are in trouble. And that's exactly where the Spirit offers to help us. 826, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Notice that the Spirit doesn't help us in the places where we think we know what we're doing. He's not interceding for me when I'm confident, when I'm self-assured, when I'm satisfied with the way things are. In fact, one could infer from this verse and from all of Scripture that the Spirit actually doesn't want me to be in that position. That is not a safe position, spiritually speaking. I'm reminded of what Jesus told the Pharisees, who probably felt like they knew what to pray for, right? Right? In Matthew 9, he says, those who are well who have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The Holy Spirit works exactly the same way. And notice too how this Holy Spirit doesn't help us by telling us what to pray for. As a physician, he doesn't just simply teach us how to heal ourselves. 
He doesn't respond to my weakness with advice and coaching. That would be one way to help me, to tell me what to pray for. And my personality would actually really love that. Just tell me what I need to be asking for, what I need to be waiting for. Have you ever asked the Lord to just tell you what to do? Just tell me what to want. Just tell me. But the Spirit doesn't do that, does he? Quite the opposite. The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And so not only is he not teaching me what to pray for, he's praying in a way that is beyond my capacity. I can't pray in the way that the Spirit prays. This is the beauty of Romans 8.26, which has so encouraged me this week. Where are you groaning? Where are you confused? Where are you at a loss for what to do or what to say? It is exactly in those places the places where you're groaning alongside creation, where you're hurting and longing for rescue, for redemption, for resurrection, reconciliation, restoration, aching for change, but still not knowing what to do or what to ask God for, how to ask him for it. It's in those places where the Spirit meets you and joins his groanings to yours, interceding on your behalf, bringing your needs to Jesus and the Father. Friends, there are so many places in my life where I don't know what to pray for or how I ought to pray. Looming large for me right now is parenting a 12-year-old boy in San Francisco in 2021. I don't know how to do it. What does he need from me? What does he not need? How will my parenting decisions today impact his future? I don't know what I should be doing. I don't know what God should be doing. How do I pray for him? What needs to happen this year for his good? I don't know and I actually can't know. It's beyond my ability as a creature, especially a sinful creature. My prayers are nearsighted. They're often selfish. Some of my prayers for my children are more motivated by pride, right? Wanting him to uh, be a trophy for me. They're motivated by comfort, sort of being tired of the task of parenting. And yet, underneath that, I do truly long for my son's good. I groan for it. And you see the image of God in him, the glory that's already there, but then you see the effects of sin, of the fact that he's born into a fallen world with a fallen dad. What do I do? What do I ask God for? And the mercy for me in Romans 8, 26, the important mercy for me is that the solution to my ignorance is not research. It's not reading more books, right? It's not doing better, thinking more, getting more advice. That's not what 8, 26 teaches us. The spirit doesn't need me to know what to pray for. He doesn't need you to know what to pray for. God is not depending on my understanding what's good for me to do good to me. He's not withholding good just because I don't know exactly how to phrase my prayers. That's the mercy of Romans 8.26. The challenge of Romans 8.26 is that I need to keep groaning. That is what I need to do. I don't need more answers. I don't need more training 
but I do need to keep longing for my son's good, for my good, for the city's good, for the church's good, for everything. I need to keep longing. And the temptation for us when we don't know what to pray for is to stop praying, right? We just stop asking God to say, so I don't know what to ask him for. And so we stop longing. We believe the lie that this is just the way it is. You deal with it, you accept it, you roll with the punches, you hope for the best. God will do his thing in the future. I'm just sort of waiting around for it. This is an especially strong temptation for faraway problems. Societal problems like racism, homelessness, rising drug overdoses, economic inequality, political and cultural instability. There are whole generations deconstructing their faith, throwing off Christian tradition. And these problems are so big and complex. Like, what do we even pray for? Right? What do we ask God to do? Anyone who knows exactly what to do to fix racism in America or homelessness in San Francisco is by their answer showing that they don't know what to do, right? If they have an exact prescription, the reality is we have no idea. We don't know what to do. That's the human condition. We don't know what to pray for, but that doesn't mean we stop praying. That doesn't mean we stop groaning for redemption. Brother, Brother and sister, prayer for intractable problems is one of our unique contributions to this city. It's one of the things that only we can do. Who else is going to pray? Lament is a uniquely Christian contribution to our world, and it's a gift because our laments stir up the Spirit, and the Spirit echoes with us. So we may not know what to pray for, but don't let that stop us from praying. When we groan, the Spirit joins us, and his groans are what matter. Let's read again. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. How is the Spirit helping us in prayer? Earlier in Romans 8, Paul tells us how the Spirit indwells Christians. So Romans 8, 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, in if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Romans 8, 11 says, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So that is the ministry of the Spirit. One of the primary ministries is that when Jesus ascended, he said, it's good that I ascend because I'm gonna send a helper to you. And so we, in a special and miraculous way, God who is transcendent and imminent, God is everywhere, but there is a special way as temples of the Holy Spirit that we walk around with the Holy Spirit in us. The Spirit has been sent to indwell Christians and the Spirit indwells us so that he might apply what Christ accomplished according to the love of the Father. And so the Spirit's job, his unique role, is to consummate all that has been planned by the Father and accomplished by the Son. That's the Trinity. One God, three persons. The church father, uh, Basil of Caesarea, is most famous for his work on the Holy Spirit. He listed out the benefits of the Holy Spirit. 
And he said, through the Holy Spirit comes our restoration to paradise, our ascension to the kingdom of heaven, our adoption as God's sons, our freedom to call God our Father, our becoming partakers of the grace of Christ, being called children of light, sharing in in eternal glory, and in a word, our inheritance of the fullness of blessing, both in this world and the world to come. For this and much more, the Holy Spirit is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our prayers. Without him, we could not be saved. In Romans 8, in these verses, we learn that one of the primary means of the Spirit's work in us is through prayer. That's why earlier it talks about him putting in us the spirit of adoption, crying, Abba, Father. He inspires us to pray. But we don't know what to pray or how to pray. And so one of the things that the Spirit does, according to A27, is he searches our hearts and he looks underneath our suffering. He looks in our groanings and he translates our deepest desires into prayer requests in line with the will of God. So you might not know exactly what to pray, but the Spirit who is God, who knows the will of the Father, matches our longings with God's will. Tim Keller again, the Spirit makes our groaning his groaning, putting his prayers to the Father inside our prayers. In every specific request, then, the Father hears us praying for what is both truly best for us and pleasing to him. Is this not the best news for people who don't know what they're doing? It's such good news for people who feel lost and confused about what to ask God for. It's frustrating news to the confident among us, right? It kind of feels like a, I'm getting cheated, that God's listening to the Spirit and not me. Those who know what they want and are ready to stand in judgment of God when he doesn't give it to them. Those prayers aren't going to be satisfied with Romans 8, 26, and 27. I don't need the Spirit to help me know what to pray for. I just need him to do what I say, right? But to those of us who feel lost, who don't trust themselves and their own desires, who aren't sure what specifically to pray for, this is fantastic news. When it comes to praying for my son or my daughters or my future or my city or this church or the homeless or this country or this planet, I don't have to know what I need. I don't have to know what they need. All I'm called to do is to long, groan, ache, desire my eternal good and their eternal good. And the Spirit will search my groanings, find in it what's good and right and needful, and carry that to my Heavenly Father who loves me. Yes, please, right? Christian prayer does not require that we know exactly what to pray for, only that we long for what has been promised in Christ. And in our prayers, the Spirit prays, and his prayers are always answered because he is God. Some of you come in here, all of you likely, with unanswered prayers, with prayers that you've asked and pleaded with the Lord And he hasn't given you what you've asked for. And so I'd ask you to hear in this the hope of glory that all of your prayers 
the Spirit has searched deep in your heart, deep in your heart for the groanings that you have for the restoration of the world, and he has, and he will answer all those desires. And so there are specific prayer requests that God denies, and we don't know why. And some of it, it is shocking. We just like can't imagine. But we can say in faith, because of Jesus, through the Spirit, that all of my deepest longings will be answered yes. That there is no prayer that is ineffective, ultimately ineffective, because the Holy Spirit prays with me, and God will not say no to his Holy Spirit, who shares the will of God. And so where are you at a loss in life? Where do you not know what to pray for? And don't abandon that place. Hang out there. Hang out in the groanings, in the longings. It is in those very places that the Spirit intercedes for you. Keep aching. Keep praying. Let the Spirit join you in your desires and conform them to God's desires so that he is guaranteed to answer them. Where do you feel lost? Where do you feel weak? Pray from that place. On the flip side, where do you think you know what to pray for? But this morning, the Spirit is asking you to loosen your grip on the specifics, inviting you to trust that his prayers are better than yours. And so have you been asking for something again and again and again, and it's not happening? Keep asking. The Lord says to to keep asking, and so it is fine to continue praying for specific things, but also spend time with the desire that is underneath that prayer. What groaning for redemption does that prayer express? Can you leave it at that and trust the Spirit to take it from there? Where have you given up on desire? So you've stopped praying for something that God has promised you, don't stop groaning, church. Prayer is the key to everything we need and do in life, even when we don't know what to pray for. And there's a lot we don't know. As Paul writes here, one of our chief weaknesses is our inability to know what to pray for as we ought. But God has not left us completely ignorant. After talking about what we don't know, Paul emphasizes in verse 28 what we do know, Romans 8, 28. Eight, in contrast, and we know, we don't know what to pray for, but what do we know? We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And so we may not know the specifics, but we do know the outcome. For those who love God, all things work together for good. And how do we know this? In verse 32, we know this because he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? One of my favorite verses in all of scripture. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in the cross? Let that strengthen your prayers. God the Father sent his own son to die for sinners how will he not also with Jesus graciously give us all things? Is there any way that he's going to hold against us the fact that we don't know what to pray for when he goes to such great lengths to redeem us? Will he hold that against us? Of course not. 
Will he hold selfish prayers against us? No. Is there any way that he's going to hold against us the fact that we failed to pray as we ought? Man, how foolish it would be for God to go to such great lengths to save us and then let us die because we don't pray right. Like, he's not going to do that. Memorize that verse, 832. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And let that motivate your prayers. The Spirit's work is to complete what was already planned by the Father and accomplished by the Son. He is finishing what has been set in motion by Jesus, by his birth, death, and resurrection. Um, Today is the last day of the Christian calendar, so next week begins Advent. And so next week is, is the start of the Christian year. Well, the last day of the Christian year is Christ the King Sunday. And so um, the emphasis is that Christ is king, right? And so Advent is about longing. It's about wanting Christ to return, about taking time to recognize our deep need for Jesus in the same way that the world needed him to come once. We need him to come again. We need him to come in glory. But we enter Advent with the confidence that Christ is king, that he is our hope. Truly, the sufferings of this world aren't worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Everything wrong will be made right. The vandalism will be wiped clean. And so let us begin a new Christian year with deep longing, deep groaning, but with the conviction that Christ is Lord, that the Spirit is Lord, and that he joins us in prayer. And you don't need to pass a citizenship test to join Christ's kingdom. You don't need to pray just right. You only need to confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that the Spirit raised him from the dead. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for sending the Spirit through the Son, knowing that we needed help in prayer. And I pray that you would make us into a people who praise. I am intimidated and challenged by Keller's word that everything in life happens through prayer. Everything important happens through prayer. And so anything that we want personally, anything that we want corporately as a church, that we want for our city and country, for the people that we love, we need to pray. But we don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray. And so we just ask to be people who groan, who long, who ache for redemption. And we ask the Spirit to do what he says he'll do in Romans 8, 26, and that would be to carry our desires up to the Father according to the will of God so that all our prayers may be answered, yes. We love you and we pray all these things in Christ's name, amen.